In therapy and in music, the baseline informs where we go to next. This is the show that examines the present state of music therapy and asks, where to from here? Welcome to Baselines with Joe Thompson. This podcast was made on the lands of the Darug people. My guest on the program today is Adam Van Eyck. Adam is an RMT currently working for Noro Music Therapy as the new graduate RMT manager and supervisor. Previously, Adam has filled roles with Noro of Aged Care and Adult Disability Practice Lead, Assets Manager, and member of the Clinic Operations Team. Outside of music therapy, Adam is an avid performer in different tribute shows all over Sydney playing both saxophone and guitar. I invited Adam on today to talk about his new role as graduate RMT manager to discuss the learnings from this new experience. Adam Van Eyck, welcome to Baselines. It's so good to have you on the show. Can you just start by laying out what a normal day in your workplace looks like? Yeah, for sure, Joe. Thanks for having me. Um, I think just the, the the fact that you said a normal day is is quite funny because I all my days at the moment especially are, are quite different. Um, so, like for instance, I'll, I'll I'll just pick like a Monday for me. That's that's a day where I spend uh, about four hours in in supervision with my my new graduate staff that 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 I'm in charge of. Um, and on top of that, I'll I'll take a couple of clients as well. But if we're pulling a day like like a like a Tuesday, I spend all day uh, doing online sessions in aged care, um, or my my Wednesday and my Thursday are, are pretty client driven, um, where I yeah do, do a lot more work with clients and still sort of have to be be available to to help and supervise my staff as well. I know that you've done a, a lot of work in aged care. That's one of your strengths. That's one of your passions. Um, but you've also taken on this new role of supervising the new grads. Um, tell me in a very big picture way how you found the beginnings of that experience. Um, I, I'm, I'm learning a lot. I'm learning with them, but I think it's more the fact I'm I'm finding out what I already know or, or I'm finding out how to get answers for things that I don't know that I probably wouldn't have realized that last year before there was other people, you know, dependent on me in this way. I assume these new therapists, they're starting their career, they're probably working with a variety of different clients and outreach projects at the moment, um, and they're probably reacting uh, to those different contexts in a way where it's helping them to find their strengths, helping them to clarify um, what they enjoy working in. Um, what's it like being observing the beginnings of that process? Just because they're working in such a varied, you know, with with so many different clients doesn't mean that I'm necessarily that experienced with all those different client types either, which I think is a a really interesting and I, I suppose a humbling thing when you take on this role. But it's really made me, you know, it, it's made me be able to go out and find where I can get that information. And, and I think even too, just having a bit more of an experienced perspective on that against someone who is new to it, um, I find I still do have lots to say when it comes to things like supervision. Yeah. So, like, let's just use as an example that a new grad comes to you with um, a situation where they're having a bit of difficulty working with a particular client population that you're not that experienced with. What's sort of your go-to strategy for being able to be supportive still for that new grad? 
I uh, I love this question because it's probably was probably my biggest fear before I took on this role. Um, but but I think really it's as someone like I'm not I'm gonna you know I'm gonna be upfront and say I'm not definitely not the most experienced music therapist out there. But I think I've I've been working long enough that when uh, when a staff member comes to me with with a situation, I'm able to sort of look at it um, in in I suppose like a mostly objective manner. Not always, but but usually, and I can I can sort of you know perhaps see where they've gone wrong or or see like a little hole in in what they've been doing and, and a gap that can be filled in or a different intervention that can be tried. I think having that kind of overall perspective and almost being detached from the client, it's a lot easier to make those observations or make those suggestions. Yeah, sometimes the distance can actually be an asset. I guess that there are two different things that an experienced therapist can do in that situation. And it sounds like this is what you're saying. One is that you can just be a facilitator to learning, help reflection. But then there's also an underlying skill set that any more experienced music therapist has. And that applies to any kind of situation, any kind of client population. I think it is always really important to recognize all the people that we work with uh, as individuals. And it can be a really easy trap to fall into actually to say, oh, well, I've got a client like that and they do this. Like I, I like to speak in anecdotes when I'm working with my staff because it, I feel it makes just me a little bit more relatable. Um, and, and it's my way of saying like, I hear you, like in, in a way I'm like down in those music therapy trenches with you. I've, I've been through this as well. But it is really important to to not say like, oh, well, I also experienced that and this is what I did and it worked, so it should work for you. That's really well said when you say I'm down in the music therapy trenches with you because it can be like that. That was definitely my experience with a couple of clients when I started. And I think but it, I think it was my my goal was to make my staff feel supported and feel like they're not isolated when having to deal with, you know, clients that have certain behaviours or that are really difficult to engage um, or, or, you know, just, just have a history of, of being uh, not the easiest clients to work with. I just really wanted to, to support them through that and make them feel like they're not on their own. Well, I mean, this is why we have supervision, isn't it? Sometimes we have situations where we just don't know what to do, but sometimes there are situations where the biggest barrier is the therapist's own emotional response and talking that out is really important. Yeah, absolutely. And I think um, supervision, like in itself, even if as the supervising RMT you don't have all the answers, it can actually be a really great space for you to reflect as well. And, and I, I'm usually the first person to admit like, oh, I don't actually have the answer to that for you, but let me think about it. Let me write it down. I'll come back to it. Or sometimes just by having a conversation and verbalizing those things to another person, you can you can come up with an idea or, or some kind of answer that, you know, it's at least, at least it's an option. And so, yeah, I was wondering if there was any particular patterns that you're seeing across your staff. A big theme across, um, probably across my staff is that that's really interesting, especially for people that have never really worked in customer facing roles before is when when you like when you are a therapist there's actually a huge element of customer service involved and it's 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 not just like necessarily how you treat people but you've got people that are that are in your care and you want them to feel really safe with you um feel like they can ask you any questions that that they need uh, and and also like you've got to get to know you've got to get to know a whole group of people because you're hopefully going to be working with them for the next you know 51 weeks and it's yeah, it's something that I guess if you were if you were in a profession like a like a GP or something, of course you would have 
your your return patients, but you're probably not going to see the same person at the same time on the same day every single week, you know, brought in by the same people. So it's it's, it's pretty unique in that way. If you're working with children, for example, then the parents um, are a key part of the therapeutic set of relationships. Um, sometimes it's just as important to bring them along for the journey as what happens in the room with the therapist. Is that the sort of thing that you're talking about? Absolutely. Like if, especially if the parents aren't in the room with you, it's, it's your dialogue with them after the session that, that pretty much, you know, details them what you did in the room, what progress was made. And, and that, that to them almost is the therapy session if, if they're not seeing what, what's occurring. Obviously, the parents or if it's with adults, the carers, they need to have confidence in your skills. And I was the same. I came out of uni chock full of knowledge and then on my first day realised, oh, I've got to actually communicate this knowledge to another another person who doesn't really understand what I'm talking about. So, I've got to be able to, to go one further and put it in words that are understandable to them. It would be interesting to go back and pick up on that other thing that you were talking about too, about uh, new grads knowing what they want to do, but not necessarily being able to describe it in precise terms. There are all these different techniques which are held in the collective knowledge or the collective wisdom of our practice, but the justification for why we might use a particular technique in a particular situation for a particular therapeutic goal, that link maybe isn't always that clear or all that established. Absolutely. And that's that's what I've said to my team, especially if the parent or, or the support worker is coming into the room with you for the session, uh, use it as an opportunity to just gently explain what you're doing. You know, because often I think parents will equate engagement or, or enjoyment with progress in a session rather than, you know, a, a, as therapists, we have a little a little bit of a more unique perspective on it where we can say, actually, no, like your son just attended to a task for 30 seconds, which is, you know, might be really huge for that person. But all, all the parent sees is the the other, you know, the, the rest of the session where, where they think they're being naughty or they're, they're not really, really engaging. And that and that's why I always say to my team, make it really clear at, in, in articulating why you're actually doing what you're doing. If as therapists, if we're able to include that sort of education in our dialogue, um, that can be a, a really good way to inform parents what it is that we're actually doing. And sometimes in therapy, we have to do things which are a little bit less enjoyable because, of course, therapy involves growth. So, sometimes that might mean working on a task which is more difficult than um, a lot of the preferred tasks or working on a task that is less interesting even. And so, I suppose it's really crucial at that point to bring the parent or the carer along with you so it doesn't just look like... Um, the client is having a terrible time for no reason. And that can be a difficult thing for a grad to learn how to do, I suppose. Is that your experience? Oh, absolutely. Um, it's really funny that you mention that, actually, because a couple of clients that you used to work with, uh, it's it's come time that they're, they're both smashing some of their goals. And the, uh, the staff member I'm looking after who has taken over them needs to, to select some new goals. And, and we had a bit of a discussion about how uh, these particular clients are probably quite used to the activities that they've been doing or the interventions that, that have been delivered in order for them to address these current goals. And now that they're going away and, and the new goals are probably going to require different interventions that 
therapy is going to look different for them. It might not be as enjoyable. It might not be activities that they that they like as much. And it's it's going to yeah really really be tricky to kind of keep them on side and and get them to still progress when it like you said it might be a task that's actually a little bit more difficult or something that requires more concentration from them. We'll be back to this conversation, but first a quick break. This episode of Baselines was sponsored by you. Baselines now has a Patreon site, which you can go to if you'd like to make a donation towards the show. While Baselines is something I do for the love of it, each episode takes time to set up, record and edit. But even the smallest contribution you make helps me to stay motivated to keep producing more content. If you'd like to keep hearing more conversations about music therapy, then you can find the link to my Patreon in the show description. Now, back to the conversation. And I might segue at that point to just talking about goals because that's an interesting thing to talk about as well. Um, So obviously in this line of work, one-on-one clinic disability setting, um, goals are a big part of the work and setting goals is is quite a challenge and I think a lot of people come out of uni understanding that goals are important and uh, what goals would be helpful to work towards but to be actually able to look at a client and see what's relevant for them obviously we we're informed by NDIS goals um, to quite a large degree but to still sort of try and perceive what's underneath a particular presentation or um, explore with the client what might be um, most useful for them to work on at that particular time. Absolutely. A, a really big part of supervision is discussion of client goals and and uh, discussion of progression and, and where to go next. We're, we're quite blessed uh, in our organisation in that we've got a really good set of, of like a, a progressive set, I should say, of goals where you can you can achieve one goal set and then move on to to what would would make sense to be the next thing to work on the the problem that i'm finding with some of my new grads is that they've they're working with clients that have been with us for quite some time so they're towards the end of that progression of goals so we're having to look at, at completely new skills altogether and and that can be really difficult when you don't have a lot of a lot of prior experience or even a lot of reported or recorded data to go off on before because you've only been working on on skills such as such as speech or or attention and all of a sudden you're you're looking at social skills or you're looking at, at some physical skills that that's I think when it can be can be really challenging when there's almost no baseline there to go off. I remember when I was in this role, um, one of the things that I found challenging was that I had a particular set of views and beliefs about the way music therapy should be run. Whenever you're working with staff, they have their own framework which they draw from and their own sets of what's relevant and important in therapy. Oh, absolutely. I My, my goal at the end of this year is to not have five miniature versions of, of me Five, five five miniature atoms running around the clinic, um, being being me because my staff are all different people and they're all they're all not me and I think they have different strengths to what I have and and potentially different areas in which they can improve. But I think just personally speaking, as someone who has probably I probably spent most of my my time working in the aged care sphere. I would say I've still have had a lot of clinical experience and I've, I've worked with, with a really big range of, of clients and populations, but I think kind of being really grounded in that 
uh, I guess, person-centered approach of, of just kind of, you know, increasing social interaction, mostly, especially over the last two years during COVID. Uh, it's It's been a really good opportunity for me to take a step back, look at the bigger picture, see how I can... Um, I can lend those skills out to my staff because some some of them are doing similar work, but it, it's been uh, been really great for me to be able to just kind of pick and choose from a lot of different frameworks and sort of direct them to where I think they will they will be best positioned to help their clients. Because you've had a range of experiences with telehealth and face to face, and then across different population settings, just that flexibility is what you find yourself wanting most to be able to convey to the new staff. Is that what you're saying? I think so. Yeah, I've I've never really had apart from aged care, I've never really had one thing that that I did a lot of. Like I, I've worked with with a range of kids, and I've done a few a few adult groups, and worked with some older adults and some adolescents. Like it's it's been a real mixed bag, which I think has been great for my own development as a therapist but has also meant that I've I've never had to lean too heavily on one set of interventions or you know one kind of set of songs or anything like that I've always had to change and adapt and learn new things for for all of the people that I've been working with to sort of get the best outcomes for them it's the sort of meta skill set isn't it like it's one thing to be able to play guitar well and that's very important it's important to be able to see in tune and be able to know a lot of songs from from memory and and all this other sort of stuff uh, interpersonal engagement but to actually just be able to know what's important for a particular client and to design a therapeutic session for that client the stuff that applies to all different types of music therapy work across all sorts of settings and populations that's the sort of stuff that sounds like you've grown in your experience and that's what you're trying to transfer as you teach to these new grads and mentor these new grads absolutely the the trap i don't want them to fall into is well i did these interventions with this client so why don't i just do them with this client as well it's all about and you identified this this before but it's all about the why it's all about that therapeutic reasoning and and if you're not able to explain that to somebody else then you know you you need to go and have a have a good think about why it is you're doing what you're doing it's, there's a really interesting tension that just came through in what you said that I'd like to pick up on if you're happy to. It's important to have a why. Sometimes people will use an intervention in a particular circumstance for a particular outcome. And as you said, sometimes that just gets transferred into uh, another client without much thinking going behind it. That's still a why though. There's still a therapeutic reasoning in that. There's a cause and effect that's that justifies that action. But then there has to be more to that equation, basically, doesn't there? There has to be a client-centeredness which factors in everything about that client so that the Y isn't just X equals Z or X plus Z equals Y, whatever the equation is, but is still personal and still draws on all the strengths-based theory of our profession. Sometimes, Sometimes you don't know the Y until after you've done something. I know I've personally been in situations where, you know, you might be kind of, I guess, for lack of a better term, at your wits end with a particular client and you think, how about we try this? And it can just open up a whole new, I suppose, world of possibility. And you think, wow, okay, well, they they did really well with this. So that's where we can probably focus our next three to four weeks. Uh, And it's, it's something that like, then you have your why after that, because you've, you've seen, 
you've seen the potential and you've seen um, you, like that potential has highlighted areas for growth. It's interesting, isn't it? That's why I guess we often find ourselves talking about therapy in in s- phrases like the journey or or the relationship even. It recognises that um, there are stages and some stages involve levels of unknowing or lack of clarity. Yeah, I think an- another interesting thing that I- I've kind of pulled out of that, and it's been a little bit of a theme of, of my week's supervision this week, is that... As therapists too, it's really important that we be flexible and that we be able to adapt to situations. Um, you know, you know, I've had a couple of things brought up to me about, well, the session would have been better, but we didn't have this instrument or we didn't have this. But I, I think it's one thing that I've learned and I'm really trying to, to, to transfer to my staff is that our job a lot of the time is to make the best of a bad situation. Um, therapy, you know, doesn't really happen in a, in a perfect world for us. You know, your, your client might come in and they might've had a terrible day, but it's up to us to, to, to run with that. And if, and if we need to, to validate their feelings and match those feelings through music, or if we just need to take that on board and, and, and just be really sensitive to how they're feeling when, when we're trying to do other interventions with them. But it's the same if, if there's, you know, certain instruments missing from the room, I've found that I've been able to adapt and, and try new things, kind of like what we were saying before that, that open up a new, a new wealth of opportunity. There's a saying that I really love, which is limitation breeds creativity. And that can be true in in art, but it shows the aspect of therapy where therapy actually is a bit like an art form. Absolutely. I mean, also sometimes though, if, you know, you break some guitar strings and you're not able to use guitar, like that is also just really annoying. But I think if we we sit there and we wait for the perfect circumstances to do our therapy, we're just, we're going to be waiting forever. Let's move into the final round of quick fire questions. Boom, boom, boom. Adam Van Eyck. What's your go-to therapy song stroke activity? My go-to therapy song, as many of my fellow colleagues will attest to, is Benny and the Jets by Elton John. I love the um when when you do that intro, when you're playing that 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 G major seven or G major nine if if you do. It's just got a really steady beat and it's great for drumming, it's great for group drumming, it's great for a one-on-one session where there's a client on the kit. Um, and then you really open up into the verse where it's a little bit more free-flowing and there's an opportunity for singing or some improvisation, and then you go back to that strong beat. And I just – I like a song with some variation in it like that. And I, I also like a song that, you know, clients are likely to to know and be able to sing along and play along with. What's one piece of advice you would give yourself as a student RMT if you could? I think one piece of advice that, that I would definitely give myself is that – you're not expected to know everything right away. And and that is the that is the, the beauty of, of having a career and a career such as music therapy, which is which is really supported by ongoing research in that you know, when you're on the job, you're gonna learn a lot of skills and you, and a lot of things are gonna click and make sense to you that that you might not have completely understood before actually putting them into practice. What is the best thing about working in music therapy? being able to help other people and do music at the same time. Very cool. Well, Adam, thanks so much for being on the program. It's always a genuine pleasure chatting to you. Thanks so much, Joe. Thank you for listening to Baselines. If you enjoyed the show, please hit follow and leave a rating and a review. My single purpose for making this podcast is that it helps us, the music therapists of today, to think clearly and carefully 
about what we do. I hope today's episode has given you something valuable to consider for your work and your practice.